Hi, I'm David Miller. Hi, I'm Mikkel Rasmussen. Together, we both ride bikes. In fact, that's how we met each other. But on the surface, we thought that was our only common denominator. But then we got to know each other better and found out that we have a lot more in common than cycling. We also discovered in that process that we're not the only people like that. And that's essentially what this Off Bike podcast is all about. Welcome to Off Bike. I think one of the things is I'm a very light-hearted person. One of our girls out there said, the only problem about working for you is I get stomachache with laughing. I've never taken myself too seriously. The Americans always say, oh, push me, a light-hearted but proper approach. This is the Royal Academy of Arts. We're in the 18th century Burlington House. We're going to the main stairs. We're going into the main suite of galleries that were 19th century. So the whole place is a collection of buildings that houses a collection of art that stages a succession of exhibitions. Somebody sent me a PowerPoint presentation of a, of a story about a product that was being designed. I looked at it. It's a phenomenal story. I forwarded it to my leadership team. Within five or ten minutes, one of the women on my leadership team wrote me back and said, Phil, by the way, did you notice that every single photo in that presentation was a white man? No. Basically, no one had any knowledge of what is a woman, what are all these things that they're going through, and is there any way we can provide them recommendations to understand the body for data. So we became obsessed of what is the female body, what is female physiology, and what can we redo to improve their life on a daily basis and help them fulfill their potential. Bring, 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 bring. Hey, Mikael. Hey, David. What's new? I feel like I'm in a prison at the moment. Um, as you know, Denmark, where I live, is in a lockdown. So I can't get out of my house. I'm, I'm, I'm in a way, forced off bike, in a way. Uh, tell me about it. It's, um, let's put this in context. It's Monday, the 16th of March, 2020. And it feels like we've got martial law here in Spain as well. I got back, I just scraped it back in from Paris-Nice on Saturday night in the airports, the airplanes were empty, the airports were, flights were shutting down and uh, got here yesterday and they announced the, the full-blown 15-day curfew as of today. So we're not even allowed to get fined if you go out on your bike or you go for a run. Um, you're only allowed to go out for absolute emergencies and they say that in the sense that I guess going for food is an emergency because you might die if you don't eat, although I guess it's within the realms of 15 days, but... Other than that, it's you're only allowed out for hospitals or work, and that's you it. You were in London commentating on the um, Paris Nice race, I guess. Oh, I was in Ealing, and, and then, it was. Then you came, you, you I mean, because I called you, and I could hear you were sort of slightly sarcastic when I told you, "I'm I'm being guaranteed for two weeks," and you said, "Oh yeah," but anyway, life goes on. You just head up, head down here, or whatever you said. Uh, and I think it's a different mindset you have now, isn't it? Or what what happened? Yeah, but when you come here and you realise that, whoa, this is a this is a full shutdown. Schools are empty. Everything's closed. It's yeah, and and then you're actually and it's I can and you know what? This is what I've been thinking about. And this is a weird one. It seems to be that a lot of the countries that are really locking down quickly because the greatest at risk are older people or the people who are already unhealthy or have a weakened immune systems or have a track record, which does generally point towards an older part of the population. And if you look at the lot, lot of the countries that are locking down, the older part of the population is very, it's an integral part of their society. In South, in Asia it is, Italy, Spain, uh, sort of South, Southern Europe, 
Denmark, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But I'd say just those initial, if you take it at a blink, you go, oh, wow, they've really woken up to the fact that the older population, and I mean, that's just one argument, because obviously you've got to talk about the fact that perhaps they're more worried about their medical systems not being able to cope. But it's it forces you to have the, to think about those things and go, well, actually, why are we quarantined? It's to protect the, the people that aren't sick. So the majority of us will recover from this, but there's a, there's a significant, there's a minority that will find it very hard to handle this. So being in quarantine forces you to start thinking about why you are and what are the reasons, which has been quite interesting. I'm also just very interested in how people uh, behave now. And at least here it seems like there's a lot of discipline. And and it doesn't come from lawmakers, doesn't come from the police, doesn't come from the military. It comes from people's social conscience and the and you kind of see, okay, oh, that's why we have a society. Yeah, that completely. <laughs> that's, that's that's so right. And that's one of the things that I'd um I was speaking to well, we both spoke to him actually when I was in Denmark a couple of weeks ago, which by the way is a one of the off bike um interviews that will be coming to at some point where I go and visit Mikael uh, at his HQ, Red Associates HQ, and and interview as well some of his uh, staff, which is very interesting. But while I was there, that opened my eyes to thinking about things. And we spoke to one of my friends, Calvin, who's in Taipei. And he was saying about how there's been such buy-in from society at large, from from just the cities, the countries, everyone's rallying. And that's what you're kind of noticing in Spain as well. Yeah, there's talk of fines. The it's not martial law, you know. So you can go out, but people are making the decision, and that, I guess that's what I was referring to. Where you kind of go, okay, well, why am I doing this? It's not just to prevent myself getting sick; it's to stop other people getting sick. And so it's a it's, it is a really interesting. It does go down to the greater good of humans. We beat ourselves down a lot individually in social media on. On the internet, we we created these terms like trolls and trolling, and and the the, the often negative behaviour that exists in the virtual world. But when we get down to the nuts and bolts of it, we're pretty good at looking after each other. But it does take a situation like this. But it's interesting because I heard a interview with the world champion in cycling, uh, Mess Peterson, who happened to be a Dane. You know, we are great. Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, but he um, he was asked. So, what does it mean for your season? And he basically said, "Well, I'm uh, in the shape of my life, and I can't really use it for anything." But then he said, "But it doesn't really matter. It isn't really important, is it? Like th- there are things that are far more important than whether I'm in shape or not." And that just and that's his job, you know. Mm. Um, so I think that it just tells you a lot about how this uh, consciousness of we have to take care of each other very, very quickly travels to all t- types of layers in society, which I think is, is a, in a way, a heartwarming thing. Yeah, it is. And that's also, that's, you kind of also get to see the sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, in the sense that one of the first things that goes is sport. <laughs> actually bikes yeah and you see that what a privilege it is to have kind of uh, that entertainment of sport and how much society does use it as that and then it was in that sort of maslow's hierarchy it was one of the first things to go it's like well we can't do we can't have mass like popular sporting events anymore that people go and crowd to watch because that's too social so we have to take that out and then it's like it starts going down, doesn't it? Then you're going to take your kids out of school. Then you can't go to work. 
and then now all we've got left are supermarkets, hospitals, pharmacies, petrol stations, and it's it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, and you could also reverse it and say, what are the first thing people go and buy lots of in stores? Yeah. I, I, what is it in Spain? Like, what 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 are where are the shelves empty? Well, I went to the supermarket this morning, and uh, the what's become the kind of phenomenon is loo roll. Um, so a lot of that's gone. There was like one pallet. There's bottled water because people drink a lot of bottled water in Spain. So there's very little of that left. Milk is disappearing off the shelves. Pasta. Uh, so that it's those kind of I guess what that's what people are seeing is the sort of base needs. Um, so it's, it's almost like I'll stop watching sport, but I'll I'll buy a lot of pasta. <laughs> Bottle of pasta. Lot of Luro because that's what's going to happen if I eat a lot of pasta. You know, here it's two water. things. It's um, it's, it's it's toilet paper, like you said, and then it's yeast. Yeast is the first <laughs> thing to disappear. Yeast. Yes. Oh my it's god! Com- you can't get is it. What, in you just my bake? local supermarket. It says sold out, and then it says in the whole country. Whoa! <laughs> so at Danes, you do, do you do a lot of baking? Apparently. Um, <laughs> But I think it's another, so, so there are aspects that are definitely the same across cultures. But yeah. one thing I was curious about with Girona particularly is when you go down there um, and, and, and you come from my part of the world, the north, if you've been there, it's the, the latitude of, what was it, Glasgow? Yeah, Glasgow, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cold. Or Edinburgh, it depends which one you want to choose. Well, they say it's not warm. Let's, let's yeah. put it that yeah. way. And uh, when I visited you a couple of times, uh, you see people, when you bike around, you see people... Everywhere, like literally everywhere, sitting in yeah. small crowds, small cafes, enjoying life. It's almost like, don't they work, these people? They all yeah. are socializing. And I mm. wondered what what happened to what happens to that. But that's what happens to that in in a situation like this. Well, this is one of the things. This is the oh, we've just been sort of taking the the surface issues there. But it, it's going to be um, it's going to be really it's it's going to be quite nasty for the next few months and for a lot of people irreparable um, because a lot of the industry here is reliant on these next few months March April May June uh, a lot of their annual budgeting and revenue is dependent on these next three four months and it's going to put a lot of people out of business because uh, this is it's been a very booming business in Drona the last five six years of s- cycling tourism the the pro influx and now all of a sudden that's just been essentially wiped out. And, you know, it's everyone's had improving, increasing revenue the last few years and perhaps had planned a lot this year to do things and had budgeted accordingly. And now it's just, this is a natural disaster in many ways. So it was unforeseen. And I think it's, um, and that doesn't just go for Drona. I think the cycling industry as a whole is, is in big trouble um, because uh, being the owner of a, uh, a cycling company and brand uh, I know a little bit the the cyclical nature of our economy and it is completely dependent and expectant of these spring months uh, the post winter influx of purchasing and activity and which all comes down to bike riding now at first it was the the, the economic downturn that was worrying people now the fact that people are being stopped from riding their bikes it gets just gets worse and then there's going to be the the um how would I put it, the, the introspection that this is going to cause about how, the we, how we live our lives, how we, we are very external. We, are, we have, over the last few decades, built a very consumerist type of nature. 
and this could be a bit of a paradigm shift in how we see things look things beyond the the time it will take to repair a lot of people's economic situations so it's, it's there's a lot of different things going on it's uh, apart from for zwift etc they're now going to kill it <laughs> but yeah, um, we've got to talk to swift <laughs> i know man it's like this is just jackpot they ought to fund this podcast now i think they, <laughs> they can afford it i'm gonna go it's just my wife's downstairs <laughs> yeah, on zwift David, at the moment this is yeah. probably the biggest social experiment we will have the next of we've had for 30 years Mm. on how do people behave when you take away things that they're used to. And um, at some point, I also think it'll be interesting to see what all the economists say, because at some point, the uh, number of lives that you save and, the, and sort of the health economics of this uh, becomes so expensive mm. for a society that it, you know, it's, it's on a verge of bankruptcy. Yeah. In, in, in terms of like all the small businesses that, 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 that thrive. And it takes, as you know, if you took out all the uh, sort of services industry in Girona and the cycling thing and the restaurants and the cafes, they can't start up in two weeks. It'll take them yeah. six months to get new clientele, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so talking about circles, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it will be. So, but through all of that, it's um, to explain a bit where where off bikes been. It's it's kind of we've been on bikes, but we've been. We haven't been on our um, off-bike podcast because we've been quite busy, haven't we? And yeah, and you know, life we've been gets busy in the way. interviewing people. <laughs> Lo lots of people. We do have a backlog of people now. What we've also done is we've decided to uh, to work with a, a prestigious um, radio man to help us produce them a bit better because the first three were in many ways an experiment, and we really enjoyed doing them. And that's the main reason we want to do these. And the feedback was good enough for us to think that. It was worth continuing and going on this journey of, of in meeting people and talking to them about things we wouldn't normally talk about and delve a bit more and learn a bit more. And so, yeah, we're ready to reboot, aren't we, Mikael? We are. And I think we have some exciting people to talk with um, in the coming season. Yeah, yeah, we do. We've got a, we've got a bit of a mixture. We've, gone, we've mixed it up from the likes of Hélène Guillaume, who will be uh, the next one. Uh, I'm not even going to say much about her because it's all on the podcast, so I won't ruin it. Then we've done some old favourites. I wanted to, we wanted to speak to Ned Bolting, my uh, erstwhile uh, commentary broadcasting mentor and partner. And we've also got a couple of randoms. We've got Alec Briggs, who's young on the London scene and trying to change things at the grassroots triggers. level. He has triggers. Techers. 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 Yeah. Tech Sorry. is so close. I know, but that's but, fine. Um, that's that's why we're cool older. Guy. Very cool guy. So yeah, and that's just a few of them. And um, so yeah, we're going to be mixing up with some some people who are quite well known within the industry. Others who are completely new to it. And we want to continue in the way we started, and just go off on on segways and tangents, and and meet new people and introduce them to the world. 